Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin. We have our full panel, which means Rebecca Lynch is with us. Rebecca is with the Wisconsin Working Families Party. Rebecca, good to see you. Hi, Matt. And Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert. Good day, everyone. So we have a lot to dive into. We are a couple days removed from the special election that occurred, actually two special elections. We had a Senate special up in northeastern Wisconsin, Dork County, Kewanee, and Suburban, uh, Brown County, and also in Assembly District uh, 42, which is the area in Northern Dane, north of uh, Madison. Um, we'll talk more about that, the implications of that. We'll dive into, you know, the governor's race a little bit, and then we'll be also joined by a member, uh, Lindsay Dorf, who is with our Northeast Wisconsin Cooperative, and she's very active on our Fair Maps uh, Committee, and we'll be talking a bit about the Gil v. Whitford decision, which could come down any moment, any day. Um, and then we'll also talk about Attorney General Brad Schimmel and his efforts to continue to try to sabotage the Affordable Care Act. And we've got some Foxconn news, and uh, we want to talk about a study that came out last week about poverty in Wisconsin that we think is very important. So with that, let's talk about the Senate District 1 special election. We can also talk about Assembly District 42, but I want to focus on Senate District 1 and its implications. Um, Caleb Frostman won. It is a, uh, a district that is solidly Republican, and uh, Trump carried it by about 17 points. Uh, but it was narrowly won, uh, a couple points, uh, by Caleb Frostman. Uh, again, this was the special that was called because Governor Walker, um, well, a couple of people had stepped down and then he refused to actually call these elections when they should have been, like, over six months ago. Uh, but it, uh, the courts forced the governor into calling these elections. So, Rebecca, I want you to start us off. Uh, let's talk about what what the implications are coming out of these elections broadly for progressives in particular as it relates to November? So a few things. One, uh, now that we now that Democrats have won uh, Senate District 1, we only need to flip two more seats to flip the state Senate. There are a number of very competitive seats, some of which have um, Citizen Action Co-op members in them. So Julie Henze running for uh, state Senate, she's somebody who's in a very competitive seat. There are a couple other um, ones that come to mind that we could always talk about now or in future podcasts um, throughout the state. But, you know, this is going to be, as we've talked before, a very competitive year for Democrats. And I think it's within grasp. That said, uh, we won very narrowly in SD1. And we won because we had a good candidate. The Republicans had a bad candidate. A lot of people worked very hard. Uh, but my concern is that this seat, which, by the way, candidates will have to run again in November uh, for this seat in particular, but for this and all others in November, we don't have what we've had in the special elections where everyone can kind of work on one race and the cavalry can arrive and volunteers can really focus on just one thing. November is going to be uh, a time where there are going to be a number of races up and down the ballot competing for our resources, our attention, our volunteers, um, and, our, and just, uh, you know, how we're thinking about politics and talking to our friends and family. So I'm my concern is that this is a hard seat to keep in November, certainly better to have won it than not, and that it's going to be hard to win all the seats in November if we're not united. And, you know, I think this is a real test for the Democratic Party. Are they going to reach out to Citizen Action? Are they going to reach out to the Working Families Party, our Wisconsin Revolution, folks who maybe supported Bernie, folks who are on the left, so we can all work together to win in November? Or are we just going to devolve into the same turf wars that seem to kind of go over and over again in Wisconsin? So those are my hot takes. Hot take. Robert, <laughs> your thoughts. So 
It's a huge deal. It's an 18, 19-point swing, I believe, from uh, the general election in 2016 to this special election. And it's important to be aware that special elections generally, like over summers, are better for conservatives and Republicans. Their voters vote more regularly. And a lot of Democratic voters only vote in either presidential elections or, or, or gubernatorial elections. That's a huge drop-off. Now, there's a lot of analysis going on, and uh, Democratic turnout was unusually high in some of the counties here, and Republican unusually low. But still, this is going to be a bigger electorate in uh, 2018 with the governor on the ballot, with Tammy Baldwin, and whichever of her far-right opponents gets to face her on the ballot, the, the attorney general race. And so this is certainly very winnable, uh, but Rebecca's totally right. This is a Republican seat. It's been a Republican seat since the 1970s, which shows you how inordinate this is. And it's been gerrymandered. They put more uh, Democratic voters into, into Dave Hansen's seat uh, when they redrew this to make it even harder because they're worried about Door County swing this into a Democratic seat. What's interesting is, is that Caleb Frostman doesn't have a clear run to another. I mean, not Caleb Frostman does. Caleb Frostman, who won the Democrat, will be on the ballot in November for a full term. But Andre Jacques... Uh, has a primary against someone named Bill Nauta from Washington Island. Uh, Bill. And what is interesting, what is interesting is, is that uh, Andre Jacques got annihilated in Door County in this special election. So you do wonder if a Republican running from Door County might have a shot at this primary. I did hear rumors from Democratic lobbyists uh, told to me that the Republicans at the end decided it would be better to have Andre Jacques lose so they'd get a different candidate and elect someone they actually want to serve in the Senate. Do I have no idea whether that's really true or whether the establishment's behind Mr. Nauta, but that's a possibility. Well, and do they have the ability to deliver a primary victory over Andre Jacques, right? I mean, that guy is well-wired within the conservative base. He proved that in his first primary. Though he so, only won, as I recall, like Manitowoc points, County points. in his original primary, which is his district that he... He's only he's strong in his own assembly district. It's not yeah. clear that he's strong outside, uh, but he's a. I think probably we want Andre the Jacques to be the nominee because he, as Rebecca said, uh, doesn't seem like a very strong candidate. He is incredibly extreme and unappealing, and he wants to basically ban abortion, things like that, uh, ban birth control too. By the way, or a lot of not all birth control, but many of the most effective forms of birth control. Other things that are outside the mainstream, even for Republicans. Yeah, I just I, I agree that special election turnout um, typically lower, typically skews more conservative. Um, but I really am worried that we are reading into these special elections, um, you know, uh, you know, divining the future of what's going to happen in November, and that is complicated for a lot of reasons. But one of them is that you know the the Democratic Party and you know, institutions and groups and volunteers and activists and grassroots folks aligned with the Democratic Party on these races have had the luxury of just focusing on like one or two races at a time during these specials. And that just will not be the case as we get closer to November. So I agree with that. And I, I, I think that that's a, a legitimate concern. Certainly on the other side, they also had similar opportunities. But when you have the enthusiasm gap, it, it really bears out, I think, in that situation. Let's just, I, I will say, however, I think, I think sometimes we who get involved in these elections over, overestimate or over 
put too much importance on the, the stuff we do, just to be honest, all the field stuff we do. And, and I, I, I think it's really, <laughs> really important, right? Because it matters in close, you can make up points, right? And points we know matters. We're talking about like double digit swings here. These are things that are like bigger than like whatever kind of program we roll out. It, the program we roll out when these things are being going to be decided by a couple of points matters. And that's what you're getting to. And it's fundamentally critical because, you know, in a number of these races, right, there's going to be these margins will get tighter in the fall potentially. And if we don't have our, 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 our stuff together and we're well organized in a number of these places, we'll, we could narrowly, we could lose a lot of these that we're maybe winning in specials. Robert's raising his hand. Oh, Robert's got his <laughs> hand up. What do you know? Hey, Robert, what would you, what would you like Don't to say? Don't have to tell our radio audience that, by <laughs> the way. I, no, uh, look, I, look, I'm just I'm, trying to bring them you into guys, the You guys, that's, that's an honest strategic conversation. I don't think I've ever, I, no one's ever talked to me where I've said, oh yeah, like if we run this really great field program in a, in a general election, we're going to get you more than th two or three point three points, right? Like let's, let's be honest with people, right? Like there is, there's not a lot of good empirical data on that. Yes. In specials and small elections, but in generals, it's <laughs> hard to tell because it's rarely been tested because obviously in elections we can win, we run field. And so running the experiment where we lose the election deliberately that we could win is not something we necessarily <laughs> want to do. So I think Rebecca is right on that. My this head will is going to explode. By boom. The way. <laughs> what we just, yes. I think, and who knows in a blue wave, right? But here's the thing, right? Um, in other words, it's a different context than usual. Maybe field can have bigger impact than usual. But that's not what I was going to bring up when I raised my hand. Uh, it is that Rebecca's totally right. These will be very different races, and we won't be able to have the exclusive focus uh, that we've had on these specials. But then again, the GOP is not, ha has had the same advantage of this exclusive focus. And what's interesting here is, is that I can remember back, because I'm, I'm, I'm wicked old, uh, to picking up seats in 2008 and actually taking back the state assembly, which seemed impossible, even uh, two uh, sessions before that, like 2004. And it was, we had so many seats in play that the Republicans couldn't defend them all. And so one advantage we might have is, is that with the conditions we have, there are so many more seats than they're used to defending that, uh, that they can't defend them all. And the problem they have, and this is not a problem with Andre Jacques, who is self-sufficient, Republicans have tended towards profile candidates who really can't elect themselves, that depend entirely on the Republican apparatus. And if it's not there, they're basically sinking. They can't swim on their own. And so that's the disadvantage they have, whereas Democrats much more likely to be someone who themselves is an effective politician who got there on their dint of their own hard work and their and their political know-how and connection okay. to a district. We got to go for a break. We're coming back because <laughs> when we come back, Rebecca, you're, you're, you get the first response post-head explosion. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back. To the battleground wisconsin we were certainly starting to live up to our name rebecca before the break your head exploded and so we need you put it back together so please respond um so b before the break uh there was a conversation about whether or not what we do um you know putting putting um, you know, feet on the street, if you will, in elections is impactful or not. And I do want to say that there are a lot of 
studies and evidence um, and data to show that door-to-door canvassing is the absolute most effective way to get to persuade someone to vote a certain way and to get them out to vote. It's critically important, and then you know you get diminishing returns as you kind of go backwards from there, whether it's phone banking, um, other forms of communication. But that is incredibly effective and incredibly important. And I think that you know the history of change in this country is dictated by freedom riders, you know, uh, going through the South, registering people to vote, uh, people knocking on doors, um, really like turning folks out, educating um, the electorate. And it's even more important today when our media is what it is and uh, so much of it is bought and paid for, earned and quote unquote earned media and paid media. And I think the only thing that beats organized money is organized people. And the Republicans have the advantage of basically unlimited money, more so than you know in the now than before in the past. And I think what we saw in SD1 and folks who were up there told me that the Republicans had a number of paid independent expenditure field operations. They can continue to sustain that. They have the money to sustain that. And you know, we've gotta just really all come together uh, and and knock on doors and really try to have a real program uh, to get people elected. This this year is too important. It's like to, we are very capable of winning. And I think to your point, you know, it is important what the national mood is. It is important what the message is. And certainly, you know, as um, candidate recruitment nonprofits will say, oh, the candidate's very important. It's not the most important thing. All of these things are important. And on top of that, it's citizen action members and other activists throughout the state knocking on doors. And we won't win without it. I so with got, that, it's my turn to cut Robert off. No, I'm going to say gonna... I got nothing. <laughs> uh, there's no defending Matt's position. I think we should go to our exciting guest. No, that's, that is wonderful. I, I 100% agree. So with that, great conversation, by the way. No, I mean, I think this is good. It's, it's, it's really important. So to that, we are going to bring on our guest, and we're very excited to have Lindsay Dorf. Lindsay is on our Northeast Organizing Cooperative Steering Committee, which is the uh, elected leadership body of the Northeast Co-op. Lindsay, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Lindsay, we are having you on to talk about Fair Maps, which is our group that works on trying to make sure that we have fair elections and that we don't have uh, politicians making and creating their own maps. But we're we, we're fortunate to have you on the discussion of SD1, and you were involved in that race, and you were one of those folks who helped get involved and helped make this happen. Want to get your thoughts on Senate District 1 and what you think actually this victory means for us as progressives. Yeah, I mean, I think it means that we have possibilities, right? I mean, this is a district that hasn't been held by a Democrat in 40 years. Um, so it definitely wasn't an easy win, and I think it definitely means that we have opportunities that we need to con- continue to take advantage of in November. Excellent. So tell us, uh, first of all, uh, tell our listeners a little bit more about, as we transition here, about your involvement in trying to change the way our maps are drawn. And uh, obviously, Senate District 1, the one that we just talked about, was gerrymandered. Uh, and we could be having a very important Supreme Court case, Gil v. Whitford, uh, being, you know, a- any time now, any, could be today or any week. We, oh, we don't believe today, actually, but uh, probably sometime in the next week or two. So tell, tell our listeners a little bit more about your organizing work around this issue. 
we did have this Supreme Court case that's hanging out there, and we just got word right before I came on that we're not going to hear the decision today, so it will probably be one of the next two Mondays that this will come out. Um, and the Supreme Court case is focused on the specific set of assembly maps that are in place right now um, and whether or not those are constitutional. In terms of the citizen action work, we've actually been focusing on legislation that would change the actual process for map drawing to make it nonpartisan and independent and fair so that we don't end up in this situation again of needing the Supreme Court to say whether or not our maps are constitutional. Um, so it's kind of parallel paths that we've been going toward the same end of getting to hold our elected officials accountable again. Um, I've heard estimates that out of our 99 assembly seats, five to six of them are actually truly competitive, which obviously isn't okay for a democracy. Um, so, you know, we need to get those maps in place so that people's votes are counting and they can hold their elected officials accountable. You know, for our listeners, I, you made a very important point. Please help clarify, right, uh, the difference between what will be decided in the court case and what you and a, a lot of our members really think permanently is is really critical to solving the solution and, and, and how even if we get a positive court ruling, we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the maps that they're ruling on right now were drawn in 2011 based on the 2010 census. And for those people who haven't heard it, it was actually done in a very secretive way. Um, they were drawn across the street at a lawyer's office. Um, the Democratic people didn't even have a chance to see the maps, you know, very far in advance. And even Republicans who saw them had to sign a non-disclosure agreement after they saw them. So it was done very, very secretively. Um, and they really, I mean, they have evidence that they recovered from a hard drive, actually, that they really rigged the maps to make it as hard as possible for Democratic votes to translate into Democratic seats. Um, so it showed up later in an election where Democrats actually got the majority of the votes in the state for assembly by over 100,000 votes, but they still only had 39 of the 99 assembly seats. So Democratic votes aren't actually transferring to Democratic representation in the assembly right now. So the Supreme Court case is actually going to be, you know, giving a judgment on that specific set of maps and saying whether or not they need to be redrawn. What we're focusing on with the legislation, and we weren't able to get a hearing on it or get it moved forward for a vote um, with the last set of legislation, but we'll get new legislation coming up. Um, and that will be focusing on the actual process for what it should look like when maps are drawn so that we don't end up with that really secretive rigged situation again. Um, so it would be based, we're hoping for a situation that would be based on the Iowa model, and they've been using that successfully for over 35 years there. They haven't had to legislate their maps once, and it's liked by both Democrats and Republicans. Both parties have been in power since they've had it, and it saves taxpayers a ton of money. Um, our current set of maps have cost over $3 million, both to draw and then defend them in court over and over again. And Iowa's most recent set of maps cost them $180,000. So we'd be saving taxpayers millions of dollars by having a fair process moving forward so we don't have to deal with all this drama again, hopefully. Hey, Lindsay, this is uh, Robert, and thanks for all your incredible work on this and, and the other members of the co-op. And by the way, I look forward to seeing you and the other Northeast co-op members Saturday at our member assembly in De Pere. Uh, my question is this. The reason redistricting, independent redistricting, without politicians drawing their own maps hasn't occurred in the past is because each party is convinced that they're going to get control and then they want to control the map drawing process. And in fact, um, in the last session where the Democrats had full control, governor, assembly, state, senate, 
Uh, I was working with uh, state, then State Representative Spencer Black, and he couldn't get it through because the Democrats were hoping they'd get to redraw the maps after the 2010 census. So what is your sense, since you've been working on this for a while, that, if we, that we have a movement that actually can hold politicians accountable to giving up that power um, it, during the next cycle? Uh, when we after the 2020 census and the maps get redrawn again? Yeah, you know, that's a really good question. And I mean, we've gone into this knowing it's an uphill battle because the whole purpose behind it is to give the party in power, like, really great job security. Because as long as that's there, they know they hold that. So getting people to give that up is very, um, it's tough, and we knew that it would be. However, um, you know, there's a couple pieces in place that make me hopeful. One is the court case. Because if the court case does go in our favor and they have to redraw the map, um, that would mean that we're in a position to put, you know, if they know that they can actually be held accountable at the ballot box, we can get the pressure out there to elect people who will put this nonpartisan redistricting plan in place. So that's one way we could, you know, it could make our jobs easier getting this. Um, a couple other, you know, tracks that we could go with is that the governor's seat can't be gerrymandered because it's not broken into districts. So if we can get the governor's seat, um, the election in 2000, you know, in November will actually be the governor who's in place for our next set of map drawings. So, you know, even if we have a Democratic governor and then the Senate and Assembly are Republican, um, he still has to sign off on it. So they can't just push through the horrible things that were done the last round. So that would be one way. And then. After the SD1 election, we're only two seats away from having some power in the state Senate as well. So kind of what happened in 2010 is that they had control over the governor's seat, state Senate, and Assembly, and it allowed them to put through these really horrible maps that in a purple state like Wisconsin, it's not usually split like that. So before that, it had been 1971 since they even had maps that were being able to be approved by the Assembly and all the way through, and they typically were decided by the courts. So... Either if we can get a Supreme Court ruling in our favor that would allow us to get more fat, more fair maps on the on the record, or if we could get the governor's seat or state senate, all of those things would make it easier for us to be able to hold politicians accountable and push for this honestly very popular idea. I mean, most people support fair maps regardless of what side of the aisle they're on. Lindsay, we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, want to talk dive right in with you about exactly what you said. How do we then get this into these elections? So we'll do that right after the break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. We're having a great conversation about gerrymandering and the maps that we have in the state with one of our organizing cooperative leaders, and that is Lindsay Dorf. Lindsay, before we broke, you were talking about how there's real opportunity, uh, both with the governor and potentially in the state Senate, we'll see about the assembly, uh, to actually get some control after this cycle. So let's talk a little bit about what, what you're going to do and what, you're, what folks are planning to do in this election cycle to do exactly what you talked about, not only win these races, but make sure that this issue is forefront and center with uh, the gubernatorial candidates and state legislative candidates, but then also something that um, they would actually then do when they're elected. Let's, so your thoughts on that? Yeah, so our next move in terms of <laughs> holding people accountable is showing up at those you know, candidate forums, showing up at candidate events, and asking them directly whether or not they'll support fair maps. 
And then what we need is for people who believe in fair map to hold them accountable at the, at the voting booth for that. Um, so I, you know, I go to candidate forums when I can, and I've actually noticed that before I even get a chance to ask a question about fair maps, a lot of other people are already doing it. So I think we feel like a lot of the education we've been doing so far with the town halls and getting people educated on this issue is already paying off and that people are curious about this and they're already starting to ask candidates about it and showing a lot of interest in it. So let's, speaking of that, let's uh, talk about a forum that is occurring up in your neck of the woods, a gubernatorial forum that uh, your cooperative and Citizen Action are putting on on, on June 23rd. I assume this will be one of the big, uh, big questions that uh, you'll all be prepared to ask. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll, we'll definitely have people asking about it then. And I will say, um, I know Robert very rightly pointed out that this is gerrymandering is something that's taken place on both sides of the aisle. But at this point, I think if nothing else, Dems have really learned their lesson about what happens when you don't have a fair map process in place. So every, you know, all of the Democratic gubernatorial candidates we've been talking to all support an Iowa-based model. I haven't heard anybody disagree with that from the Democratic side. Well, that's very exciting, right? And we think that that is obviously a product of really, really good organizing. So I uh, want to change topics a little bit. Uh, your co-op is having a big assembly this weekend, and I wanted to give you an opportunity. Um, well, actually, before we do that, can you let our listeners know about if once this verdict comes down, uh, what's going to be happening the next day in Madison, and just so that folks could get involved in that before we change topics? Yeah, absolutely. So when the verdict comes down, we'll actually be having a local event that day in Green Bay. We'll be having a press event at the courthouse at 3 p.m. the day of the decision. And then the next day, there will be a statewide event at the Capitol at noon, the day after the decision comes down. So there will be a rally noon, the day after the decision comes down in Madison. So folks, please look for that. We'll, we'll certainly publicize that on our Facebook page and make sure uh, we get that information out. So tell our listeners a little bit about, especially folks who live up in Green Bay, Fox Valley area, about the organizing cooperative, your assembly, and why they should come and uh, join this cooperative. Yeah, so the cooperative's been doing a lot of good work around progressive issues in Northeast Wisconsin. We have an active health care team in addition to our Fair Maps team. Um, then we also have some other issues that we touch on, too, in terms of criminal justice reform and everything. Um, so on this upcoming Saturday, we'll be having our General Assembly, where we report back on all the different issue teams that have been taking place. Um, we have our new organizer in place since our last General Assembly, so people will have a chance to meet Jolie, who's our new our new organizer, and we'll be doing some breakout sessions where we get to hear back from people about what other progressive issues they're interested in and they'd like us to organize around. Reminder, folks, where that assembly is again in the address? Yep, it's, yeah, it's the Crest Family Library in De Pere, Wisconsin, and that'll be at 11 a.m. on Saturday. Well, at 11 a.m. there will be a gathering or potluck, and then the actual program will start at noon. Sounds great. And then, again, that Governor's Forum that will be up in De Pere, it's also at the, it's at the Brown County De Pere Library on June 23rd. The doors open, I believe, at 10.30, if I have that. Yeah, 10.30, with the forum starting at 11. Um, so, well, I guess anything else you would like to uh, let our listeners know about the co-op or about uh, this critical issue around uh, fair, fair maps? I guess just that it's really great to have a progressive community up in northeast Wisconsin that's connected and able to support each other. So for people who are looking for those connections with other progressives, I know 
those of us who have been involved feel like it's been a really positive network and being able to take ideas and concerns and actually translate them to action, which is what we're all about. Thank you so much, first of all, for your leadership in helping build this organizing cooperative and provide leadership on a critical issue. I think you're absolutely right. The reason we have so much momentum on this issue is the amazing work that's been going on now for well over a year, if not two years on this this issue. Um, but then thank you for taking the time to join us and talk with us today. Thank you. So before we go to break, we want to talk a little bit more about the governor's race. Um, there is some updates on Wisconsin's Choice, which we have talked about before. I believe we were talking about it last week on the, on the show. This is a joint project between the Wisconsin Working Families Party, which Citizen Action is a part of, and our Wisconsin Revolution. Try to get progressives excited, engaged in this race, start to figure out a progressive candidate for governor, but also get people to start to really think about making commitments to getting involved in the election. Rebecca, let's give our Listeners, an update. Yeah, so this is a really exciting project. You know, I hear very often, including um, this weekend when I was at the Citizen Action Co-op event in Milwaukee from uh, Citizen Action members and WFP members and OWR members and people who are a member of all three. That um, <laughs> There are a few. I think a couple in this room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, that there are so many groups and it's kind of hard to keep track and, you know, can't we all work together? And actually, we do work together pretty well, uh, but this is a concrete project in which we all are very much working together. And I love it because it's got, you know, a, a small d democratic way for everyone from dairy farmers in Lodi to people in on the north side of Milwaukee to folks all the way um, out west, um, you know, along the Mississippi, like all over the state, up in Ashland to get together, either, you know, caucusing in house parties, online, our virtual forum participating in the many forums that we've done with uh, Citizen Action members throughout the state to engage in this primary. And it's something that's very unique because I think there aren't many groups like ours, like Citizen Action, like the Working Families Party, like OWR, that are trying to engage people around this primary, which is a shame because what we have is this really dynamic race, never had anything like this really before, at least not in a very long time, where it's a truly open field. There's no clear front runner and informed voters can really make the difference in who wins. So um, thank you to everyone who voted in the last round. We narrowed the field from nine candidates down to four. The final, are you doing a drum yeah, roll? Who are, <laughs> who who are the are, four? Who are Five. the finalists? Bra, bra, bra. <laughs> okay, so the final, the final four for Wisconsin's Choice are, like um, later. Uh, can I do this in alphabetical order? In no particular order, no one get mad at me. Um, <laughs> Malin Mitchell, Kathleen Beinhout, Mike McCabe, and Kelda Royce. And so what that means is that these are the four folks who got the most small-D Democratic grassroots votes in our ranked choice voting system in the last round. It means that moving forward, they're the people who will continue with the Wisconsin Choice Project. Uh, they will be part of a forum. We're still kind of looking at a date, but you know we've been doing forums all along. I think July 15th it might be. I'll update folks next week. Um, and we're really excited about this. And one thing I want to make very clear, because um, I've seen some haters on the internet. Uh, <laughs> no way. Haters. Whoa. Haters. Whoa, that's a hot take. Hot take. Um, you <laughs> know, saying a, a couple different things. And one of the things that folks have said is like, oh, this is a straw poll. Or let the people decide. Let them decide in the primary. I heard you <laughs> had the power to kick everybody else yeah. out of the race that it's over. And you've actually <laughs> selected the final four candidates. That's not what happened? That's not oh, what happened. Um, first of all, of course, Travesty. you know, there is a primary. And as we know, our politics... Um, 
um, you know, whether they're primaries or not, are typically dictated by whoever has the most money. And so we are just trying to organize ourselves, make our voices heard, sift through the issues, and figure out where we are. And lots of organizations, be they unions, be they special interest groups, make endorsements. They don't often make it like this, where the members, the activists, get to decide. The second thing is, this is not a straw poll. This is not trying to see who has the most support. This is an organizing project. In order to vote in the last round, you had to commit to a volunteer shift. In order to vote in the next round in mid-July, you have to commit to 10 hours of work, of volunteer work, whatever it is you're able to do, to defeat the Walker agenda. That's how we organize as all of our groups together, and that's how we win. And so anyone who hasn't voted yet, you can still vote in the third round. It wasn't necessary to vote in the others, but really excited about the future of this project. Uh, let me give a sarcasm alert. No, oh, no yeah. one thinks. Stop it. So you're saying that we shouldn't just have the big donors and the money decide what candidates are in front of all the voters, that we shouldn't have self-organized groups of people and voluntary associations actually have process to surface different candidates? Yes. Sarca I say sarcastically, <laughs> folks, here's the thing, because I know some, they're probably not haters on a podcast, but they might disagree, right, on Battleground Wisconsin. That's called haters! <laughs> And, Learn to hate. And here's the thing. Democracy is not just voting. If it's just voting once in a while, that's not deep democracy. At the heart of democracy is us self-organizing ourselves into Amen. voluntary associations Amen. That, that do deeper processes and involve the most active and, and interested progressive citizens. So and that's what this process the the back. is about. And this is exactly what deep democracy is, is a process like this. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Having a great conversation before the break about the Wisconsin's Choice Project and how critically important it is for all of us uh, on the left, progressives, right, to organize and get involved in this race. Um, so there's some forums coming up that we're doing here at Citizen Action, then we're going to jump back to Wisconsin's Choice. Um, we have mentioned them uh, before, but uh, Monday... So that is June 18th. We're having our third of our four member forums that are part of our internal endorsement process. Uh, it'll be at the Milwaukee Area Technical College in the Student Center, room 120. Uh, that is where we have the Healthcare Jeopardy Forum. And everybody who shows up, every member, you're going to get an evaluation survey to fill out where we are. Uh, where you can give all your feelings about all the candidates, about what you know, what you care about, whether citizen action should get involved, um, and that stuff will go to our board so they can help make a decision. So really want to encourage you to come, and we'll have those gubernatorial candidates grapple with things that are on our platform, uh, which include things like our previous guest Lindsay talked about. So the sec or the fourth and final forum we mentioned will be in Green Bay on the 23rd. So that is open to our members and the general public, people who want to come. Um, uh, you're more than welcome to come and participate. So those are two forums that will happen. The Wisconsin Choice Process, another forum with the four finalists will so, happen. What will not happen is the Wisconsin Broadcast <laughs> Association debate since they've taken their ball and gone home when there was a backlash against them trying to select four candidates based on a poll and based on fundraising. Yes, and before we, we change topics, Rebecca, so we had mentioned that we're down to four candidates, and so now the next goal here is to do a, a, a forum, an actual debate. We probably look a lot more like a debate with the final four, I assume, 
uh, in July. Could you give us our, our listeners just a little preview of that? Yeah, I think we, we have to um, lock in the details a bit more, but um, you know we've got four candidates who have been elected by the participants of this project um, who are going to go out and do volunteer shifts as part of this organizing project uh, to continue on. That means that we're going to be able to have a really substantive discussion with four candidates instead of nine. Um, and unlike, you know, it was proposed by the WBA of deciding who had the most money or polling, this is decided by our, our members and activists and people across the state. So we um, want to make sure that whatever forum we do is accessible to everybody and hopefully um, something that could be, you know, viewed across the state live. Um, and so, you know, we'd be looking at house parties and other ways of, you know, organizing and having fun. So stay tuned for that. But um, it'll be right before the final round of voting, which begins um, July 16th. So I think maybe July 15th might be the day. We'll, and we'll obviously have any updated information uh, on the podcast. I, I do, on the show, I do love that the number is four. Uh, and that the WBA was for because it actually does point out the differences. Robert, you and and uh, Rebecca really Wisconsin Broadcasters Association yes, really did a great job of laying out what Wisconsin's Choice Project is and how it's really critical to organizing an association and getting people. It's fundamental to a functioning democracy. The WBA, like the broadcaster, it's a totally different thing. Where, as you mentioned, one that. It was their first foray, and they had no previous thing that would determine how to cut down or what to do. And they're not, they're like, their access to the public airwaves, right? They have a public trust, right? It's a completely different type of operation. But it's interesting that the, that the number four happens to be both, and I'm glad that you were able to come on and talk more about why this is so important. So, folks, uh, we'll, we'll have more information about that forum when it comes on. And, in fact, I'll quote Jerry Huffman, the <laughs> journalist, well-known broadcast journalist, who says, My form industry is filled with some of the brightest and most creative minds in the world. To not use them is, at best, childish, at worst, lazy. It's lousy public service and even worse journalism. Yep. So, in summary, on the other hand... The Wisconsin's Choice is good organizing. So with that, we're going to switch topics. We need to talk a little bit about what uh, Brad Schimmel, our attorney general, has been up to. Because mm -hmm. as we speak, as we are recording, a media conference has uh, launched from our organizing healthcare cooperative to push back against Schimmel's effort to sabotage the Affordable Health Care Act. Robert, what's going on? So a few months back... Uh, red state attorney generals, including the attorney general of Texas and Mr. Schimmel, launched yet another lawsuit against the Affordable Care Act. Uh, it's not enough to have lost in Supreme Court twice, and this is the right-wing Supreme Court. And this one says, since they're not enforcing individual mandate, a horrible decision that the Republicans made to sabotage the Affordable Care Act, then all the other things are invalid, all the consumer protections, all the pre-existing condition, discrimination uh, protections, etc., and so this was seen as frivolous because the Supreme Court has already ruled on this. But now the Trump administration, Department of Justice, Attorney General Sessions have decided not to defend it. And so literally this risk, they all claim they want to protect people with pre-existing conditions, for example, right? It's a lie. They're, the Trump administration is trying to allow the insurance to decide who to insure and who not to insure, right, based on their health status. And so 
Uh, and so literally, at the same time Scott Walker is trying to position himself as helping the Affordable Care Act and lowering premiums, we have the Trump administration and his own attorney general undercutting the Affordable Care Act yet again. And thank goodness, some blue state attorney generals led by that in California are going to defend it. So we have the odd specter of states defending federal law and the Trump administration, which allegedly believes in rule of law, let me allow the laughter to die down, uh, not even doing its job and trying to create an, and, and literally uh, not even upholding the, the decision of, of its own right wing Supreme Court. Probably I've already heard some of this. By the way, Schimmel's raising money off this. He's got a fundraising email. It's pretty it's pretty low. This is just a classic. Let's fire up the base, raise a and little money. Candidate Josh Call, the Democratic nominee, yep. is 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 at our media event thir- uh, that was going Thursday in Milwaukee. We'll see if the mainstream media uh, covers this sufficiently. You never know. It's it's so interesting to watch. Um, you know, in the statewide races with Schimmel and uh, Vukmir and Nicholson and Walker, how they differ on different issues and how they're trying to. You you mentioned that you know he's fundraising off of this to fire up the base. It kind of reminds me of the conversation we had um, on school shootings like about a month or so ago, where there were like differing opinions, um, and Schimmel was saying that we need to arm teachers and do all this. Um, other security stuff at schools and that was not the position that some of the other Republicans were taking Um, and now we have this you know talked about before the podcast but the Trump tariffs are another kind of cleavage uh, where we've got Governor Walker saying "Eh, like I'm not sure that these are the best idea hurts farmers hurts manufacturers I would say let's have an even playing field no tariffs for anyone Uh, and then you've got Vukmir and Nicholson cheering uh, President Trump on saying like these tariffs are the best thing since sliced bread so just like interesting to see the differences within, within the state wide Republican candidates. And it's all around Trump. They were all for uh, rigged corporate trade until now, but Trump has now built this new kind of paleo-conservative, protectionist, nationalist, nativist element, and they're all afraid of crossing Trump because, as we learned in the specials, even brothel owners can win special elections in Nevada if they are if they're closer to Trump than their opponent. And so that's the dynamic here. Trump has shaken everything up, and it's, it's scrambled eggs right now in the Republican Party. Absolutely, and it, it, it also goes back to this ain't really about purity on ideology, right? They're more than willing to fold the chairs and go home if, if they think Trump has the dominant hand here. And we're seeing that. I mean, Leah Vukmir, like not being a free trader, it's kind of laughable, right? Don't I mean, even call issue, it free trade. Well, corporate I'm trade. sorry, good Come point. On. I apologize. I'm using <laughs> It's not free. Excellent messaging reminder, Robert. That was terrible on my part. So I uh, want to change topics because uh, it is a battleground Wisconsin show. So we do need to talk about Foxconn. There is news this week. Um, Illinois Lake County Board has actually uh, going after... Uh, Wisconsin for attempting to obviously waive Foxconn from the kind of rules that they should have had as it related to their operations. Robert? Well, I mean, Wisconsinites should be embarrassed because we have our neighbors to the south who are not really known for environmental protection like Wisconsinites are, complaining bitterly, the attorney general suing the state of Wisconsin, of Illinois, and now Lake County Board, which is the county just south of Kenosha, big county, and then a whole bunch of other local entities uh, try figuring, take, not passing resolutions, figuring out how to sue the state of Wisconsin or join the Illinois suit because it's going to go downstream on them. And so they're doing our job for us in many ways because there's no one home when it comes to envi- basic environmental protections here in Wisconsin. So that is a huge deal 
Uh, the other huge deal here uh, that's going on is, is that poverty rates went up a full percent during this incredibly great economy with record low unemployment, which explains to you why most Wisconsinites aren't feeling like it's a great economy, because those numbers no longer measure what's happened. There's been a fundamental restructuring in the economy to the detriment of most working people and their prospects, and that's reflected by the fact that we have high growth, high stock markets, low unemployment, and a 10% increase in poverty, folks. Rebecca, that was just a brilliant maneuver by Robert. He managed to, in a very short time, take one of the topics that we said we were going to talk about that we were not going to talk about, throw it in on the end, and... Our listeners didn't get to see. There was a little dance that he did when he was doing it. It was it was it was great stuff. Rebecca, any closing thoughts? Just that we got a live stream of the podcast. <laughs> we the listeners do. I can feel see like <laughs> it was it was great stuff. It, no, it we revealed the passion with which Robert has about this stuff. It like it's just not words. His body like actually was taken over by the the passion. With that, we're wrapping up this podcast. We want to thank our listener. Uh, excuse me, our member, Lindsay Dorf, for uh, joining us and talking about what they're doing around Fair Maps and all the exciting things in the Northeast Wisconsin Cooperative. We want to thank our producer, Brian Wojcik, who makes it happen every week, and we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.